Today's episode features Connie Kai, who is a violinist and educator who specializes in improvisation theory. We jump into how she got into the violin and the cultural differences in pedagogy between China and the U.S. according to her lived experiences. We then delve into the concept of improvisation and how using improv principles can lead to more effective and deliberate practice. We continue to discuss how improvisation is a muscle that needs to be fine-tuned and break down how to approach improv as instrumentalists. Connie concludes by sharing what is at the core of her love of teaching, expressing her optimistic take on the future of classical music, and establishing that encouragement and support are the keys to making improvisation more approachable and thus equitable. So happy to have you here. Um, really appreciate you making the time to be here with us. Are you down to just kind of say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Connie, and thank you, Yao, so much for um, inviting me to do an interview. I'm very, very excited to, you know, talk with you and, you know, basically talk about anything music. Um, so I'm a classical musician. I play the violin. I've been playing, um, you know, since I was four years old. So it's been a while. Um, yeah, and my recent, well, not really recent, I've been obsessed with the idea of improvisation uh, for a while now. And um, yeah, I'm excited to, you know, uh, talk with you and then, you know, see what we can get out of this experience. Absolutely. Um, are you kind of cool with walking us through your overall musical journey? Like, what prompted you to start playing so young? Um, why the violin? And then kind of leading up to this realization that um, improv is something that really kind of fascinated you and that you wanted to delve into. Mm-hmm. How I started the violin was actually, it was kind of a fun story. So when I was three years old, my mom took me to a concert with, with my grandma. And the concert was a a solo violinist uh, from China, a pretty famous Chinese violinist. And he was going to play a recital with his wife. But on the day of the concert, um, his playing got delayed. So the concert actually did not start until like very, very late, until like midnight or something. So there were a lot of kids at the concert. Um, and while we were waiting, they were showing a movie by Meryl Streep. Hmm. And uh, yeah, like the, the movie about, um, you know, like her teaching violin to a group, group of kids, I think. Um, and then my mom just told me that I was very fascinated by the movie. And, you know, a lot of kids, they just like went, as- fell asleep because it was so late. But I was just like so excited the whole evening. And, um, you know, and I was totally fascinated by the concert as well. Um, and then after the concert, I just told my mom, oh, I wanted to play the violin. Um, but then, you know, at the time, it was kind of, um, you know, like they didn't have a violin that small. So I waited for a year and then insist on, insisted on um, playing the violin. So I actually started when I was the age of four um, for my violin journey. And yeah, so I was born and raised in China. Um, I studied, I went abroad to study in Canada for a year and then, um, you know, moved to the States. So 
um, it's really interesting to have these like experience all different um, kinds of like educational systems as well as experiencing um, different kinds of uh, music education uh, from my experience. And for my fascination with improvisation, it started when I was a freshman um, in, in college. And I actually didn't, did not know anything about improvisation at the time. It was not something, you know, I, I learned in my lessons or, or things like that. But, um, you know, I just went into my quartet rehearsal uh, one day, and then the the violist whose major instrument is actually piano, and he was like, you know, playing some things from piano before the rehearsal, and I was so fascinated by the sound, and I was trying to think, okay, who is this co composer? Who is this composer? Like, it sounds kind of familiar, but I just couldn't tell what it is. Um, and then I asked after my friend stopped, and then I asked, oh, who, who, what was that piece? And then they were like, oh, I just made it up. So I was like, whoa, that was, you know, something I would never imagine um, doing it on my own. And then, you know, from there, uh, you know, I became interested in the idea of improvisation. But of course, over time, I also gained kind of different understandings of um, improvisation as well as, you know, something more than a musical activity. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I guess first, just going back a little bit, I'm really curious. So you've grown, I mean, you've spent time in three different countries, have experienced educational and musical training in three different countries. How do they kind of differ in terms of system and culture and all of that? Right. So um, in China, I think one very interesting um, observation I, I always uh, think about uh, when I was thinking back to my days in China was um, at the time, um, my grandma and my mom, they would tell me that my playing doesn't have any feelings. Hmm. Like they were like, oh, they were, you don't put any feelings in your music. But then I didn't really understand. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy about the way I play. I, I don't understand what you mean by like playing with no feeling. Um, so, so you know, they, they, they turned to the teacher. They were like, why doesn't Connie put any feeling in, in, in the way she plays? And then my teacher was kind of saying, oh, you know, um, you know, she's just working on like the technical things like for now. And then the musicality would just grow naturally as she grows older. Um, so that was kind of the, the mentality mm. uh, about, you know, the, the relationship between technique and musicality uh, when I was... Um, educated in China. Mm -hmm. um, and in the Chinese system, I think, just generally speaking, um, you know, even outside of music in the academic setting as well, um, you're not really encouraged to voice your opinions. So when you're doing exams, you're doing things like that, like you always want to answer in the way that you will earn the most points. Mm. And that would mean to, you know, follow, um, to guess what the test writers are thinking in their head and then trying to, you know, accommodate our thinking to align with what they are looking for. Interesting. So there's really kind of a lack of self-expression um, in the academic as well as the musical setting. Mm. Um, yeah, and then in the States, 
I think it depends on. I I realize you know the your experience kind of differ a lot uh, based on the teacher you have, and the teacher I had in high school. Um, he was very relaxed. He was definitely not as disciplined as um, my uh, teacher in China, and he would say things like, "Oh, play it like like you're dreaming, or like play it in the dreamy way." I was like, "What do you mean? I don't understand." Um, so you know, there is more express、uh, more discussion on you know expression and、um, what the piece means to you, but for me. I was also, you know, lacking discipline in the way,、um, you know, in the way I was trained in 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 the U.S. So this is, you know,、uh, something I have to go back to, you know,、uh, just、um, working on my foundations. Like、mm-hmm. I have to do it now because at the time we were talking about this expression ideas, which is new and interesting, but I wasn't sure. I'm not sure if that fully resonated with me at the time. Yeah, that's really interesting. It makes me think of like one-off lessons I've had in the past, where sometimes someone will just be really harping down on technique, and it'll be a really difficult and challenging and frustrating lesson. But there's a lot to get out of it. And then sometimes I'd have lessons with teachers who'd be like,、uh, you know, doing all this crazy stuff, like close your eyes, now imagine a piano thirty feet away at like a thirty degree angle from you. Now imagine a purple cat on that piano sitting. Now sound like make now play or something like with that in mind, and it completely changes your sound, and you're like, oh my god! So it's <laughs> it it's all kind of crazy, and there's such a spectrum, and so many approaches, maybe infinite approaches in pedagogy.、Um, and I'm wondering what you think about like, do you think that there's one best kind of、uh, approach? Do you think that every single person can benefit? From a wider range of approaches, kind of thrown at them, or does every single individual kind of have one approach that is best for them? I'm just kind of interested, since you are an education major. Yeah, that's a really interesting、um, observation that you you brought up, and I think you know something that a lot of people have been struggling with.、Uh, you know, educators, musicians, like there are so many things out there. Like, what do we pick? Like, how how do we find? The way that works for us. So, for my case, I actually think the answer lies in improvisation. So、mm-hmm. I'll, I'll explain the idea of、um, improvisation in a little bit. So when you talk about improvisation, like if you're talking about musicians, like you ask, oh, do you improvise?、Um, if you ask the classical musicians, they're probably gonna say no.、Mm-hmm. They're terrified of it. Right,、yeah. but I wasn't. I'm not sure if that is true. Because what is really improvisation, right? The way that we're talking right now, I mean, I have some kind of ideas in my mind, but I don't know what's coming out of it.、Mm-hmm. The way we are having our conversation is a form of improvisation, and you know, every day before a meal, you are looking at your fridge and you are looking at oh, all these ingredients. What should I make for dinner? That cooking itself is also improvisation. And so I think we should, you know, like think about improvisation, like outside of music.、Mm. And the way I'm thinking about it, like it's it's an idea. I think it's really a basic human condition that we're experiencing all the time. Like we're improvising all the time,、um, even though like we're not always aware of it.、Mm. 
And um, yeah, I do want to, you know, just maybe narrow down that uh, idea of improvisation and how I understand it a little bit. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yeah, so for the, you know, for improvisation, there are so many definitions. People understand it in different ways, but I think one specific concept that I found very inspiring um, is actually the, it, it is called Improvisation Impromptu. And this concept is actually came up by a Columbia philosophy advisor, Lydia Gerb. And she was talking about, you know, the acts of improvisation as um, you're facing a situation, you're in a situation where you kind of encounter an obstacle. You have to, you know, get through the ob- obstacle. You must overcome um, this obstacle at a time. Mm. So that's kind of, you know, operating um how do you operate in a state of uncertainty? That's like her idea of improvisation. And um, in order to improvise successfully, so to say, I, I'm not sure if that's the right term, but in order to really um, get the most of the experience, she was talking about the idea of wit and fit. So wit is about like she, she, she used the term like elasticity of mind. Like you, you must be willing to improvise. You must be willing to challenge yourself and overcome the situation. And fit, she was talking about is, um, you know, the, the trainings and your knowledge about things that will work for you. Hmm. Um, so you. So you kind of need the ability. Yeah, foundation to kind right. of build off of. Right. And then you also need the flexibility mm. in order to adapt to whatever that that is happening. And so, you know, I really think maybe the question about, you know, finding like the trainings that, that work for you, why don't we treat it as improvisation or treating our practice as a way to um, build up our foundations for sure? but also treating it as a way to kind of refine the way we practice and then try to be flexible. So I think, you know, I'm kind of explaining in very vague terms, but I feel like perhaps um, improvisation is something we could tap into in, in the field of pedagogy. Yeah, I really like that because it kind of requires the sense of self-awareness of what do I need in this moment? Because right. maybe some days, some weeks, depending on where you're at in life with your instrument, on your journey, what's going on. Um, sometimes you do need to kind of get really conceptual. Sometimes you do need to just, you know, shed some technical stuff. So I kind of like that having this foundation and then everything is built off of that. And you kind of have to, yeah, be in touch with yourself, which I, I, I think sounds like a, a really great thing. Um, and I like the idea of also life just being one big improvisation. I think one challenge, and I experienced this as a classical musician, is, you know, I think in any art forms with like uh, a long history behind it, there, there's, you know, this idea of like tradition. There is a lot of like practices in traditions and, you know, people also propose different things in different ways. So I also, you know, at the time, I felt a little bit suffocated 
by by you know the so-called tradition mm. but i think the 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 practices that that are being passed down over over multiple generations they're there for a reason and the idea of improvisation is you are kind of operating in a space that you're countering um some of the traditions that's that's being passed down to you but at the same time you also have to work with it so you're kind of working um like in this like like the space in between what's already out there and how do you find your path through it if we use if we tap into tradition as like a source of knowledge and i really try to work with it engage with it and then find the space in between and then try to push your way through and i think that's where uh, the creativity lies so so i think that's you know what's interesting about improvisation which is um you know emphasizing on expanding um the the space in between the, the structure and then find a, a way to engage with everything in in a flexible way yeah i think a lot of non-musicians and even musicians who just have not dabbled in, in improv might think that you're just making stuff out of like pu pulling things out of thin air but i think it's so much more than that it's as you're saying operating within an existing structure and expanding on top of it um something that this reminds me of is um, in our master class, which is where we became friends, um, our beloved teacher, Magdalena, um, I remember, first of all, love her. Second of all, um, one master class, basically this master class operated in a sense that it was a bunch of instrumentalists, all from a classical background, all playing a variety of instruments. I was pretty much always the only brass player or even like wind player in the room which was really interesting because there was so much to learn from string players and pianists and hopefully that you guys could learn from me since we just operated in such different worlds. Um, but it was a great way to kind of just expand our musical horizons and learn about each other's reps and offer a lot of insight and feedback, but also learn from each other at the same time. It was a really powerful experience and um, one of my favorite things at Columbia. But Anyways, one um, master class when it was my turn to perform, I performed um, the first movement of the Haydn Trumpet Concerto. And at the very end, there's a cadenza. And something Magdalena said, which was really impactful, was she mentioned that back then in that era, in the classical era, improvisation in classical music was actually really common. And it's almost like that was the tradition, but it was this muscle that was kind of lost. And today, mm -hmm. cl most classical musicians are so timid and scared of it. And they're like, this is not classical music. It's not a part of classical music. But it actually was. Um, and that really got me thinking that, yeah, this should be something that all musicians kind of incorporate and pay homage to. Um, so that was one thing. The other thing that she was always really great at mentioning that really left an impression on me is also making things sound spontaneous, making things sound expressive, making things... Sometimes you want a phrase to sound really difficult. Sometimes you want it to just be floating and effortless. So I think like she was such a great mentor and educator in the way of like you can influence how you want your sound and your expression to even come off. And there are so many ways that you could um, kind of manipulate that. But I, I think both of those things were really interesting and that we kind of learned that in a shared space. I actually, you know, I, I, I was just thinking about something when you were talking. I think a lot of classical classical mu music teachers nowadays, they they all often talk about 
they were like, um, play as if you were improvising.、Mm. And then they were like, oh, take risks in in performance and be spontaneous in performance. But you know, if you're in the practice room, you're always like pretty rigid about you what you're doing. How do you suddenly become like able to take risks?、Mm-hmm. Like, I I think there's kind of a missing gap between you know. Uh, practice rooms and and stage, and so I was thinking, oh, why don't we channel spontaneity and risk taking in practice room in this space? So rather than finding one way that will always work for you, after you find it, can you try to play in like three different ways? You know, can you try to play in different dynamics? Can you use different articulation? And what does that tell you about the music? Because sometimes, like we're just so stuck on what's written on the on the on the、um, on the piece of paper, but then if you explore something outside of it, and then you come back, it was like, oh wow, I never realized that was you know something I had to do exactly had to do that. So I think you know not only embracing like taking risks in in performance, but also you know you can also be creative in the way you practice. And you know, this is something that that I'm very passionate about, like just developing a method and help people to be able to be spontaneous and risk、uh, and be willing to take risks in even in the practice rooms. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because I think as we're both kind of coming to this conclusion together, like it's a muscle that you need to work on. Yeah. yeah. You can't just turn on spontaneity like a water faucet. It's something、yeah. you need to kind of develop and hone in on, and then. Really wonderful things can come out of it. Sure, yeah. So every interview I do, I try to have my guests kind of break down a musical concept, and we've been talking a lot about improv. But I would love it if you just took a moment to maybe, for people who aren't super familiar or well versed in it, kind of break down the elements of approaching improvisation. Improvisation is like something we do already. So I would think that you know, in the way that we. Improvisation works in in practice rooms. Of course, this is also something I'm exploring at the moment. But for me, that means,、um, you know, if you're looking at a piece of music or a piece of etude or something like that, I want to find patterns, and then can I create different patterns based on that?、Um, mm. That could be like melodic patterns. That could be, you know, I'm doing like this fingering. On this spot, and then kind of try something else. Kind of try different fingering, and if I'm doing, you know, playing different parts of the bows, like, like different,、um, just like working with your instruments in different ways. I think you know there are all these、um, great resources that we have.、Um, you know the way we move, the way we engage with the instrument, the way we think,、um, the way we group things. Into patterns, the way we organize our thinking. There, there's so many things we could experiment with, and I think you know, for improvisation, it's about、um, you know tapping into the, those resources that we have because we have a lot,、um, and then really, you know, just start with one idea, and then see how much further you can push just along this line,、mm. and then see what you discover. Uh, based on you know that one single thing, do you consider improvisation as something that is pretty much the same across all genres, or 
you think improvisation in the classical realm is different than improvisation in like the jazz realm. I think so many people just assume improvisation only lives in jazz. Right. I think, I think they're actually, I, I, I do see where they're coming from mm. because in, in jazz, it's very clearly, you can call that improvisation. They're making up notes, but for classical musicians, um, and also the way I think about improv, I, I don't think it's necessarily about making up notes. Um, of course, that's the obvious way when someone else could tell you're improvising. I think improvisation is about um, problem solving. It's about finding solutions. Um, if you're struggling with something, how do you solve, solve the problem? So the way I think of it is like a way to overcome your challenges rather than oh, like I'm playing something that, you know, haven't been heard before or playing, playing mm. something from my brain. Like that is, of course, a form of improv. But I think, you know, even as classical musicians right now, like in, in practice, we're always improvising. Yeah, I really like that. Very like theoretical approach, which I think is really interesting. Oh, I would also, I'd love to... I'd love to kind of shift gears a little bit and ask where your love of teaching kind of came from and what you hope to kind of accomplish with it going forward. Right. So I think the um, my love of teaching comes from me wanting to see results ASAP. <laughs> impatience. <laughs> yes, impatience. That, that's my, that's, you know, the motivation behind it all. Um, <laughs> All of us musicians, though, we just want, like, a magic elixir. Yeah, but, but the, you know, the, the thing about teaching, uh, at least the way I, I uh, think about, you know, pedagogy and practice, um, from my perspective, they are really intertwined. Because pedagogy, to me, is developing a method and be able to share it with others and also adapt the methods in a way that, you know, other people can benefit from it. So pedagogy, methodology, and practice, of course, is my own journey of, you know, cultivating my expression and, you know, trying to um, get closer to, like, mastering my, my instrument. And I really do believe that method has to come from practice. And that's why, you know, even if I... Um, I'm very passionate about teaching. I, I still hope to be, or I still strive to be a very disciplined musician. Because for me, these are kind of two halves of, of a circle. Do you kind of know, and the answer can a thousand percent be no, but do you have any kind of idea of like what settings you want to work in? Like as an educator, just because it could be so broad. Like I'm even thinking like pedagogical approaches if you're working with an orchestra is so different than if you're working with a middle school band, which is so different if you're working one-on-one -on -one with a student. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you have any like teaching pedagogical preferences or like niches that especially interest you or even like playing situations that especially interest you. Oh, that's great. That's helping me clarify my ideas. <laughs> um. <laughs> Brainstorm your life right now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's exactly what I need. Um, I think for me, I think I, because I'm a violinist and I do have experience in violin, I want to start with, you know, maybe working with violinists mm -hmm. and, you know, see what I can contribute to the way they practice. 
but no, I'm kind of, so right now I'm doing research on how to use improvisation to teach instrumental technique. And I'm focusing on very, very, a very specific technique on violin staccato. And then my plan right now is to interview many, many very great violinists, learn about how they were taught spiccato, how do they teach spiccato to other students. And then from their ideas, I will try to come up with a methodology about mm. how to teach spiccato, which is very, very narrow. But if you think about it, it's a methodology. So that means that it may not only be able to apply to, you know, instrumental technique, but also what about the academic setting? and across all different fields, because, you know, having um, a good, like, knowledge of the foundations is something kind of all the fields all share. Um, so I'm starting with violin, and then we'll see what goes from there. But definitely, you know, thinking about what student groups I would want to work with would be a very helpful next step. Yeah, but I think it's good to almost start in a niche and then kind of see, like, the effect that can come out of it. Because it sounds like, especially with your research, like, it needs to be so, you know, quote-unquote controlled. Like, it needs to be in a very specific setting. I I like the approach of trying to find that narrow field and then kind of extrapolate it potentially to a lot of other things. Yeah, I mean, you can call that control, but I I think is having a focus. Yeah, that's the right um, word. Because if, if I look everywhere, it's like, oh, I don't know what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just looking at one thing and I, I want to see how deep I can go into it. And then that may reveal um, a lot of other things along the way. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Well, a couple more questions for you. Where do you kind of think the future of classical music is going? I, I guess it's a, it could be a really broad question. It can be with a lens of like, as someone who studies pedagogy and improvisation would love your thoughts on that oh i think it has such a bright future honestly yeah i think there we are in the generation the the generation like our generation has so many many talented people and you know you and then i i've met so many great musicians who are very 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 passionate about their art uh, their crafts but at the same time they're their ideas, like they're really engaging, like intellectually with um, uh, the, the things that they're doing. Um, and so I, I really, really have a good, you know, I, I do think, you know, the classical music, it's, is definitely, <laughs> I, I do have a very pretty optimistic view of the future of classical music. And, but, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think that my um, my optimism comes from my belief in practice. Um, because if you think about it, like when you're practicing, you're not just trying to get through the piece. You're actually figuring out how to solve problems, how to overcome, you know, the negative self-talk, how to organize your thinking, how to strategize, and how to cultivate your expression and how to work with other people. So I think, you know, the idea of practicing, it's something so powerful. And I think a lot of people have realized already. And in the future, there will only be more educators um, and more musicians that 
you know, share about, you know, the beauty of practicing, the beauty of, um, you know, getting yourself out there and then try to tackle something that's very difficult. And, you know, that's where I see the value of um, music is. Like, regardless if it's, you know, classical music or jazz music or dance or acting, theater, I think, I, I think, you know, these art forms are, are such such a blessing to, to all of us. And because we, we have that, uh, we have a way to always be, you know, um, working on ourselves. And we have a way to always strive for um, something greater than our own. And I think it's so beautiful. And, you know, I, I do, I, I'm very optimistic about not just classical music, but just all different forms of arts. I think it's it's going to a great direction. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot more like collaboration too, like cross um, arts collaborations, which is very exciting. I think we're in good hands. Um, I think it's really easy to kind of see the future as bleak and scary. and But I think that there are constantly so many innovations and collaborations and kind of revivals. Um, and also opportunities for, for newness, which is really exciting. It's a constantly evolving genre, even if some people think it's stuck 300 years in the past. Um, so I think it's really exciting. And with improvisation, there are constantly new things happening. Um, that's, that's the whole point. It's building on what is already there. I guess maybe my last question for you, usually I ask about how do we make classical music more equitable, but maybe for you it's more of like, a through a Connie kind of lens of how do we even make improvisation more approachable and diverse and equitable and and yeah how do we get more people in the door whether they're novice musicians or even really wonderful musicians who just have not really had the exposure or maybe kind of scared to, to dip their toes in the in the improv water I think you know the the way a lot of people talk about like equity and things like that they're kind of looking from the top down so having like a very macroscopic view and then I, I would imagine I don't know if I'm right but you know something someone as like you know a policymaker would have a lot to say about equity but for my point of view it's actually from the personal level so from the bottom up so uh, you know helping people to see the beauty and the value of practicing and helping people to realize that actually we're improvising all the time. And, um, you know, in introducing this method um, in the way that, in a tangible way that they could apply it immediately. I think that's where, you know, uh, the, the, ch the changes come from, like from the personal level. And then it's kind of like if you're like, throwing a rock in water and then you have like ripple effects, like it just spreads, you know, to a very wild range. And I do think, you know, every one of us, we have so much gifts and we have such great stories and we have so much power within us. And, you know, if you can, if me as a educator want to be, if I could encourage people to bring that out, I think, you know, that's already like making a great impact and that's already, you know, uh, making a very big difference in, in many people's lives, even though, you know, um, if you're looking at it top down, like you may not see a lot of changes, but but you can see the, the, the transformations that 
you know, uh, the people that you are working with, they they are going through like a light bulb moment or something that can um, translate to so many, so many different pathways as they move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely um, education is key. And just getting people in the door and like encouragement working with a few people and, and changing their outlook and encouraging them to reach their potential and try new things is really impactful work. Um, so yeah, again, it's like that, that idea of focus too, of like mm-hmm. small change uh, or what seems as like small change is still very much so um, a big deal. Well, this has been really fun and really thought provoking. And I just wanted to thank you so much for spending your time with me and having this conversation and yeah, hoping we get to make some music together soon. It's been so long. So hoping our paths cross very soon. Yeah.